0: I'm Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to Cape Up. It's time for our six-month check-in with Michael Steele, former chairman of the Republican National Committee. We talked about what he thought the press should say to President Trump at his daily rally from the White House.
1: Mr. President, this is my last day on the job.
0: You are full of shit. What he has to say to those protesting stay-at-home orders.
1: I gotta go walk on the beach. No, you don't. Sit your ass at home and, you know, go... Grab some dirt out of the backyard and color it yellow and and call it
0: sand if you want. I mean, but seriously, stop it. And we talk about how Trump has treated the nation during the coronavirus pandemic.
1: And I think America, in some respects, has been abused
0: by this president.
1: He doesn't give a damn about how you feel.
0: (laughs) He doesn't. Hear how Michael Steele really feels in this episode that contains explicit language and listener discretion is advised right now. Michael Steele, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jonathan, it's so good
1: to be with you. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> Relatively speaking, all things considered, fine. Um, <laughs> this this marks your, what, fifth time back? It does. It does. It's it's what we call kismet. Which is, yes. It's just, it's just how it is. And, and we're calling it a checkup. It's been six months since you were on, and so much has happened. Um, yes. And I just want to focus it on just a couple of things. Well, first, I got to ask you the question I always ask you: Are you still a Republican? I am. I am still a, Repu- a Republican. Um, uh, I stutter less when I say that, but I still, I still am. Okay. All right. So now let's talk about the Republican President of the United States. I just need you, just your thoughts. On President Trump and what he's doing right now.
1: Well, you know, it's. um, I think it's an important question because there there are very few people who've actually contextualized uh, what what they see happening every day for what is now two plus hours a day. Uh, When this first started. Um, I don't know if I coined the, the hashtag, but I was probably one of maybe three people at the time that first day that labeled this um, the coronavirus press rally. Because what I, what I immediately picked up on was the fact that the president needed the outlet. He needed the space to go and do what he otherwise could not do, and that is to stand in a room full of people and have them love on him. Uh, for about two hours. He could riff. He could, you know, say things that weren't true. He could make stuff up. He could go after Democrats. He could go after Republicans. Um, And it would all be part of the show. Uh, And if you notice, that's exactly what has taken place with these, with these uh, coronavirus briefings. Remember, America, the president announced that the vice president was in charge of this (laughs) the president announced that the vice president would give us briefings not necessarily daily but would be the lead on the briefings that has not happened right that's because what trump realized very quickly was this was a way in which he could get into space and and do what he otherwise was doing before and that is connecting with his base going after the media picking adversaries um, from here and there to blame for this, that, or the other thing. So you can go each week, Jonathan, and see a series of people who've been identified as problems. They are the ones who, you know, who didn't believe the president when he said that this was a pandemic because he knew it was a pandemic before anybody else, that he was the one who was proactive in, in going after China when, in fact, everybody else was like, no, Mr. President, it's not China. So all of these little storylines that he likes to go back and revisit and make up lies about plays into an overall narrative where he continues to be, quote, the center of the universe, all things revolve around him, and he gets to dictate the terms. And that's what we've seen for the last, what, three weeks now. Uh, and we'll see until, this, until probably the election in November.
0: Right. And you know the other thing about, about him, I mean, President Trump, has always been probably one of the most transparent people to ever be in that office. There, you look at him, if you've been paying attention to him, there's nothing that he says, nothing that he does that could not be predictable or predictive of what is to come. And so to your point, he's turned the, the coronavirus press briefings into campaign rallies, but then he in the transparency, remember they used to be sporadic and early in the afternoon. Then they moved to five o'clock. And uh, you know why? Exactly. And and now they're at six o'clock. Right. And they're moving later because he wants to first five o'clock. He goes on two hours, it gets you to seven. But if you hold till six, you hold you start after six then you start pushing into primetime on Fox Uh because he knows that MSNBC Uh and CNBC are hip to his game, and he's also trying to uh, figure out ways to make them carry him. Uh Um, But at some point, the question I'm getting at is, will this work? Is this working? Yes, yes.
1: And define the define um, and yes, working. work. And yes, it is working um, to this extent. Uh, the question I have for you is probably more rhetorical, but maybe you can begin to answer it, is why does the press sit there and allow it to happen the way it unfolds? Except for I can point in the last three weeks to now two instances where reporters have s- Called his bull, his I can't because this is the Washington Post. I can't say. I can't, you, you've said it before. <laughs> called his bull out. Uh, Paula Reed mm-hmm. gets she the gets. gold star. So far, I mean, there's just what she did was a systematic truth takedown. When the president kept going back to well, January 15th, she said, "I know January 15th was the president." I'm talking about the month of February. You did nothing in the month of February. And she kept going back to that. And you could tell that he was getting angrier and more frustrated because she wasn't taking the bait and allowing him to dictate the terms in which she could ask a question and more importantly, in which he would answer that question. Mm -hmm. I think the press needs to, in these briefings, call out the bullshit and just, I just, you know what I'm looking forward to? Here's my, here's my, here's my. Here's my wedding (laughs) okay? Just to put it out here. Reporter stands up when the president says something like he's done over the last few weeks and looks at the president and says, Mr. President, this is my last day on the job. You are full of (laughs) Was What you just said is a bold-faced lie to the American people. You ought to be ashamed, number one. And number two, would you please just answer the question? Boom. Now... Yes, that's that person's last day on the job. We get that. But do you know how many Americans would s- literally stand up in their friggin' living rooms, go out on their front porches? You know, you talk about, you know, honking, you know, making loud noises and applauses for our, our medical professionals. And we thank God we do that. And to show our love for them. I think Americans would actually go out and applaud <laughs> that, that person in the press that day because we have not seen it. We all sit there, we hear people write about it, we hear people talk about it, What? but then in the moment, they don't push that point. And I don't know, maybe you can tell us, Jonathan, and we can talk about it more, where that, how thin that line is for the press, particularly the White House Correspondents, uh, the White House uh, yeah, Correspondents uh, Press Corps, um, but that to me is how he gets away with it so consistently because he's able, he knows no one in that moment, in that setting, particularly when he, he's talking to John Carl or he's talking to, you know, one of our colleagues at MSNBC, right. you know, who's, who tries to push and he goes, you know, you know, quiet, quiet, just, you know, quiet, quiet. Well, if I'm the person I'm like, no, I'm not going to be quiet. You're going to answer the question.
0: Well what's in what's interesting is um it's the women in the press corps who have been the ones who consistently push back not just Paula yes. Reed but also um I, think, I can't pronounce the person Wage Jang also at CBS yes. CBS News ya Alcindor, Sindor PBS Yamiche. PBS News Hour the original um yes. You know, too bad uh, April Ryan doesn't go to the briefings anymore, understandably, given the health concerns. But these are people who, by their demeanor and their tone and the way they're asking the questions, they've learned the president's game. The president will always cut off a question before it's even asked. And they, pl- they plow through and push him to the point where he then calls them nasty or gets frustrated as he did with Paula and move, and move on to someone else. And it's
1: always the women, and it's all in particular women of color. Mm-hmm. And I just wish the men would find the pair that the women have uh, and, and apply it in, the, in that setting more often uh, like the women do.
0: Well, men other than uh, Jim Acosta of CNN. Yeah, but see,
1: the problem with Jim Acosta, here's the problem with Jim Acosta. Jim Acosta has a brand outside with the public that, that, that uh, lessens his credibility because he's been so effectively uh, bird dogged by the president uh, to the point that with a lot of folks out there, when his name pops up or he stands up and asks a question, they immediately kind of get, and I've heard this from people. Um, more about him than I have others, That is almost it was, it's always a gotcha. It's always a gotcha with him. And that's because, that's because from the very beginning, he didn't draw the lines like Yamish did when she stood there dogged and asking her question. She didn't take it personally. She didn't internalize it. She said, okay, the president's going on. Okay, so I'll ask it again. Mr. President, boom, 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 boom. Okay, I'll try one more time. Mr. President, boom, 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 boom. The men seem to want to get into these back and forth sometimes at early on in the case of Acosta. Now, it's not slighting his, his journalistic uh, credentials, his credibility overall. I'm just saying in terms of how the public looks at a Jim Acosta, it's very different than how they look at a Yamiche Sindor
0: mm-hmm. or they
1: look at a Paula Reed. That's all I'm saying.
0: And the other thing we have to keep in mind, though, is sure, people look at Jim Acosta and think he's going to ask a gotcha question. But now folks who are really paying attention know that it's the president who's picking the reporters he's going to call on. So when the president picks on Jim Acosta, we know he wants a fight. Um, And Jim, to his... (laughs) So Trade entertainment value right. he'll, he'll deliver you know I'm not going to fault Jim Acosta for trying to get trying to hold the president accountable and doing it and, when and, and it was don't get me
1: wrong I'm not doing now. that either i'm not no i I'm, I'm uh, i don't I want your listeners to understand and I want Jim if he's listening to understand I'm not doing that either. I appreciate the brother in the position he's in. I'm just saying to your question right there's just there's a there's a separation with him that you don't see with some, at least again. Before we were all on lockdown and talking to people um, that uh, I mean, I keep using Amish because she stands out the most among white and black people that I've talked to. She has been the one that has been more identified as a reporter who legitimately stands up to the president with credibility Mm -hmm. uh, and presence and respect. Um, And I think that's the key thing is that some people think that Jim doesn't it it comes through. He doesn't respect the president. At least that's how they perceive it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I again, I don't take away from any other thing that he does. I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of the question itself, how 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 he's received and when he's asked a question versus some others, what the pr- public generally takes away from, which
0: is why Trump likes to tee off on him the way he does. Okay, let's move move off the the media criticism and and that well, get... wasn't criticism. It was just no no no, no, no not criticism criticism just, criticism, criticism, of... just as a, yeah. as a genre as a genre. Um, and get and get back to politics because right now we are watching people openly defy their state state governors calling on the, the their states to be opened up. They're protesting in Wisconsin and Michigan and Texas and Minnesota, uh, all over the place uh, with the president sending out tweets that all caps liberate, fill in the blank fill in the blank state. Um, your thoughts on on that I mean, you're sitting at home, you you we're all staying at staying at home and yet these people, in the face of all of these rising death rates and hospitalizations and things, they don't be, they clearly don't believe that this is a real thing. and they're listening to the president um, say to them, go ahead and do this in essence, put your health and the health of your community at risk for what purpose? So this, has, this,
1: this whole narrative had two potential storylines, both driven by whoever sat in the, in the White House, all right? In this case, Donald Trump. So I'm gonna take, I'm not even, the easy would be to use Barack Obama. I'm not gonna use Barack Obama. I'm gonna use George Bush instead. 43. So under a Bush 43 presidency, confronting the evidence out of Wuhan back in the winter, early winter of uh, 2019, 2020, and the behavior of the Chinese government at that time, the intelligence information that indicated that, A, this was a man-made virus that uh, escaped the laboratory, That B, the Chinese have been lying to us about the real impact, not only on its own citizens, but the the, uh, um, expanse of this virus. Now, coming to America, Mr. President, what do you want to do? The narrative from a George Bush would have been not to call it a hoax, not to take it unseriously, but to raise the appropriate alarm bells to put the relevant um, uh, um, agencies of government to work from CDC to NIH on down would have taken the tests offered by the World Health Organization back in January um, as we ramped up our own testing capabilities here, knowing that those tests may or may not in all instances be, but at least we now begin to establish some baselines, right, early on. That would, that's response number one. Response number two is Trump, who from the beginning called it a hoax, who did not take the intelligence that was given to him seriously, uh, did not uh, put the, uh, instead of putting the watchdog uh, agencies like CBC and others on point, Basically gutted the various uh, agencies, the the uh, pandemic office in particular uh, that would have been important to have in place. So the response to by those very Americans, and I go along. I set this up for this purpose because the response of the citizens you're talking about under George Bush would not be what it is today. They would not be, if if George Bush had said to them at this stage, we need jobs to stay home. Governors, Republican governors in all those wonderful little red states that are misbehaving Florida, right, would be behaving correctly. But when the president says from the outset, "Uh, this is nothing more than something the Democrats have cocked up to to come after me. They want to take out my presidency. They couldn't do it with Mueller they couldn't do it with impeachment, so now they're going to try to do it with the, with the virus. That, that narrative settles in with people who then themselves don't take it seriously. So I don't, in one sense, fault stupid because, stupid, because stupid will do what stupid always does. It needs to be educated and informed, and when it is not, it behaves as we see now, where people, knowing what the evidence says, Knowing that that they have family members or friends who've been affected in some way. Still wanting to gather in large numbers. I got to go walk on the beach. No, you don't. Sit your ass at home. You know, go grab some dirt out of the backyard and color it yellow and, and call it sand if you want. I mean, but seriously, stop it, you know. But people will do that. So my point is leadership makes the difference from the top down in situations like this. And so even though governors are saying and doing the things that are necessary to protect the citizens, the president in some of these cases overrides that because he says what he says at these press conferences. And he's now, I mean, this fake, oh, I'm you know, I'm an optimistic fella. No, you ain't optimistic. No, you're not. Stop it. <laughs> you're not. You're just you're playing. You're playing to get. You're trying to get your boys who who are getting a little hit in the pocket some cash. Look where all the money's going here. The money the money's going to the top corporations, not the small businesses. Small businesses are, are struggling still. People are still laid off. We've got almost 20 million Americans don't have jobs. You think that's going to get back? the day you open up the economy? Oh, and by the way, what do you think people are gonna do the day you do open up the economy? They're gonna go flood to the baseball parks and to theaters and to restaurants? Hell no! Mm. They're gonna to continue to self-isolate. They're gonna pick and choose on their terms. You know what they're gonna do, Jonathan? They're gonna to listen to their governors. Who's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna to say to them, okay, I know the president said, John, I can go outside and play. I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's what they're going to do. So this isn't about concern for the American people. This is not concern about Jonathan Capehart and Michael Steele or or our spouses or our families and our friends or, or, God, something even bigger, the country. This is about how this sets him up to be, quote, the winner, the one who got us back out and in time for the elections. Understand what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And I think I think people will apply a higher level of common sense and continue to do what their governors are advocating. Not these governors in these states that are following Trump's leads because they're going to get people hurt and they're going to get them. They're going to make them sick because, Jonathan, we've only tested out of three hundred and twenty eight million Americans. One and a half percent of percent.
0: Right. And he stands at the at, at the podium bragging about the raw numbers because the raw numbers look great and sound great, but then when you put them in context, it's it is nothing. Um, it's
1: not on a per capita basis.
0: The testing is pitiful, pitiful. So I I want to a- end uh, on this question because I want you to take as much. I'm gonna I want you to take as much time as you as as you need because because you um for those who've been listening to us talk on on my podcast and on yours um all these years know that you before you went into politics were studying to go into the priesthood yes um and you are a devout Catholic and so as a as a man of faith and a person who you know for if things had gone another way would have been a priest and there a a godly man talk to me about your impressions of a president of the united states for whom empathy is a foreign concept
1: um it, it's unfortunate um because if you go back to our first president, our founding president, there are a lot of things about George Washington that history has taught and we've learned that are problematic. You know, his, his ownership of human beings, um, his, his lack of interest in, in freeing said human beings <laughs> um, at the appropriate time uh, and, and all of that. But as president, um, he had a profound caring for the country. And I've always looked at that as a seed that he planted in the presidency. And that caring extended itself so far that he limited his, his own self. He, he said, no, two terms, I'm done. We, that's enough. We, I don't want, This should not be a position where it's about me. It's always about the country. And we have been a very fortunate nation to have presidents, 43 of them since him, so that's 44 total, uh, who, who followed in nurturing that seed. Um, some much better than others, for sure. No, no doubt about that. I, you know, I, I don't discount the, you know, the Woodrow Wilson's of the world and, and so forth. Um, and the Andrew Johnsons that, you know, I, I get that as well. But even in those instances, those individuals had an appreciation for the American narrative and what their role was in that narrative. This is a president who has turned that narrative on its head and now sees that narrative is defined around him, not around the country. And so this idea of empathy is you should be empathetic of me. I'm the one who's suffering here. They come after me. It's poor me. We saw that what several times this week, where the President, in, in explaining about the virus, would then diverge very quickly and say, "You know, and when I said everyone didn't believe me, and when I did, no one, no one believed me, or they disagreed with me, or they argued with me, I've given you everything you need. I've been the father that you need in this moment. Well, like any bad parent, right, who believes that they are doing good for their kids, the proof is often seen by what that child wears, the food he eats, the resources they have available to them. And you realize that they're lacking in some fundamental ways. So in your mind, you may have provided for this child, but in reality, you have not. Um, And in many cases, you could argue you've abused them. And I think America in some respects has been abused by this president. Um, That we have um, seen ourselves in the institutions that we have relied on, respected, um, and that we have manifest as important to our well-being as citizens, as Americans, um, be stripped down and stripped away and quote unquote, leaders put in place who aren't really leaders, but sycophants for, for, for Trump. And that for me is where, why there is, it's, it's hard to see this idea of empathy, uh, even, I, I, I'm just only, when I hear people talk about it, I am like, why are you bothering? You haven't figured out this man, this is not a part of his nature or his character. It's not important to him. He doesn't give a damn about how you feel, <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, I wish we would just stop acting like he really cares about what's going on right now. Just take the two hours he gives us every day and just listen to him and ask, and ask yourselves, could you imagine any other person in that job saying the things he says the way he says them? And don't give me this crap, oh, he's just speaking, you know, he's just telling like he is. Bull, Is that bull. Because he's not telling it like it is, because that's not how it is. The truth isn't the way he says it is. We are not, the American gov- governors in this country do not have access to tests. Governors are right now out on the market still trying to get, trying to get masks and, and body clothing and gloves. Your own administration has told us that the, that the stockpile that we have is not ours, it's yours. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, times you have to hit me before I realize you're hurting me. You know? And, and so it, it just, it, to me, it doesn't make sense for us to continue to pretend that this is the man who's going to get us through the next six months. And then, God forbid, get another four years to continue the abuse. At some point, the American people, and this is not a partisan comment, this is just, this, this, if you want to play that fun, then you're not hearing anything I'm saying. At some point, you have to ask yourselves, what kind of America do you want? And what kind of leader do you want to help that America be its best and do its best for all 328 million plus of us? At a certain point, Jonathan, the president has to care about the least of these, right? And we haven't seen that yet. We just haven't. And it's unfortunate. Um, I, you know, and I, I stopped expecting it a long time ago uh, and, and, uh, and try to work with people with and around him uh, to try to get some good things done along the edges. Uh, right now, working very hard to get the resources in space for, for minority businesses um, to, to help states get uh, the PPEs they want and need. Uh, and, you know, we have to, it's unfortunate, but we have to pick up that, <laughs> that cause a little bit and carry it, you know, which is why Governor Cuomo irks the hell out of Trump, which is why Governor Hogan irks the hell out of him, which is why... Um, any number of other governors. Now, now the new target is Governor Whitmer of Michigan. Uh, why? Because she's a woman, um, a governor uh, more so than a woman, but a governor who's saying, "What the hell are you doing? <laughs> no, we're not. No, this is. We got to do this for our people. We can't. We can't sit idly by and just wait for for you to decide what we need or don't need." So it's it's. It's hard, and I know it's hard for a lot of Americans, but I'm hoping that in this time that we've had home, in between the, uh, the realization that, oh, my God, spending 24 hours with my children really is something, that um, <laughs> people realize um, what we now need to do next. Uh, and we'll get to do that uh, in, in about four or five months when we begin to drill down on the kind of leadership we want for us on the other side of this, because this doesn't end in six months. Our scientists are telling us this could reoccur next winter. We don't even have a vaccine yet, Jonathan. They're not expecting a vaccine for at least 12 months, maybe 16 at this point. That's well into next year. So what, what, what does America want in leadership to help that fi- vaccine promise become a realization? so that we can begin to turn the corner on this? And then how many more Americans' lives will be risked between now and that moment? That's the
0: question. Michael Steele, former Lieutenant Governor of the state of Maryland and former Chairman of the Republican National Committee. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast. Thank
1: you, my friend, and uh, I have to return the favor.
0: All right, all right. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.